This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. What is up, everybody? Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for today's guest because, you know, as you guys have heard me talk about in the show before, we really need to care more for, you know, our current and past military because one of the biggest struggles is for a lot of them, you know, what they have to do every day so that you can have your freedom. And we have a guest today that's really helping them to change that paradigm. We have Sergeant Aaron Quinona is with us today, who's really helping our former military members to, to deal with some of the mental health issues that they have because of that. Sergeant Q, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and share with you and your listeners how they can improve their mental health. I wanted to talk about first and foremost, you know, for a lot of people, you know, that do serve in our military, for some, it's a special decision. For others, it's, you know, they're, they're kind of looking for, you know, what to do next in their life. And I guess for you, what made you make the decision to, to serve your country? You know, I, from an early age, I really, I like the idea of adventure and being able to go and, and see new places. I grew up in a really small mountain town in Northern California. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity to get out of that area. And so the military just made sense. And when I looked at the Marines, growing up, I didn't really know much about the military. It wasn't really prevalent in my family. And I wasn't something that was talked about, kind of a hippie commune that I grew up on. So the military, <laughs> I mean, there were some kind of the furthest thing from your reality, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. I didn't really have any military toys growing up or anything like that. But when I joined the military, I decided to join the Marines. I just looked at, you know, what was the toughest branch out there? And it was the Marine Corps. And I figured, well, that's where I want to go. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to a gentleman the other day, uh, Teddy, what is his last name? Oh, anyway, but he said the reason he joined the Marines is he's like, what's the hardest thing I can do? Yeah, I want to do that. The Marines are a special breed, man. Yeah, it's a different mentality. So, I mean, the easiest way to explain it, they say that you join the Army and you join the Air Force, but you become a Marine. That title is with you for life. And mm -hmm. it's just a different mentality. In boot camp, they spend a lot of time teaching you your military history. And so they teach you what they call esprit de corps, the spirit of the corps, mm -hmm. and that you're now part of this legacy. And so you fight harder and longer because you want to live up to that, that legacy. Well, I guess looking at it then, you know, like in training, you know, in what you do in service of our country, a lot of what is taught is, you know, hardening the individual and, you know, a lot of times not being open. But after you come out, it's one of the biggest things I think a lot of guys struggle with because they're told, you know, to talk about it as not being strong and things of that nature. So I guess for you, how have you kind of dealt with some of those stigmas around mental health where we're kind of told, hey, you shouldn't talk about it? That's a really great question. Well, because we spend all this time and money and training, you know, making people into weapons of war and forgetting, hey, they're human beings and they have to be able to live afterwards, right? Right. And so I spend a tremendous amount of time trying to break down that stigma that you're talking about right there. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I explain to guys is that, you know, you didn't fight the war alone. And so you shouldn't be trying to fight PTSD alone either. Mm -hmm. 
the Department of the Army, they did this 40 year long study to determine why the military was so effective on the battlefield. And they narrowed it down to one single element, which is the squad. Because we fight in squads, these small units uh, were more effective because every member of the squad values the squad over themselves. And therefore, they fight harder and longer to stay alive. So they don't let the squad down. Well, I just reintroduced that concept back into the veteran's life to mm. show them that, hey, the squad is life. I mean, it was the most important part when you were in the military, and it's the most important part now. So I helped them redevelop and redesign that idea of the squad so that way they can be successful on this new battlefield that we fight on, which I call the battlefield of the mind. And so I spend a lot of time trying to use military battle tactics to show them how to overcome PTSD. And so that's how I've been able to do it. There was a study that came out in 2019, late 2019, that said they pulled a bunch of guys in America and it came out to 67% of men in America admit to having a mental health crisis at some point in their life. Wow. So think that's a huge number. Like to me, even a quarter or half is huge, but 60% is huge. Well, 67%. So that's basically two out of three men admit that. So think about that. They admit it. Men who are notoriously tight-lipped about mental health are now starting to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And so you can imagine how many didn't admit it, right? Mm -hmm. How many of those guys didn't admit it? So it's fair to say the vast majority of men in America are going to struggle with mental health. So we need to start talking about these things around mental health and these different tools that people can use. And we need to start early. We need to start in grammar school, high school, and then all the way into college having these classes that teach people how the brain functions. Nobody ever taught me that. I mean, I took Mm -hmm. biology classes and they tell you the different parts of the brain, but they don't tell you how they interact with one another and how you create these complex neural networks, especially regarding trauma and Mm -hmm. how trauma memories are sticky. They stick to other memories that you have. And so it Mm -hmm. becomes this complex issue. And Well, I know even as well, we had Dr. Mark Gordon on the show not long ago that helps a lot of veterans that have had traumatic brain injury as well. So like, you know, not only are we dealing with what people typically deal with, we're also dealing with a lot of traumatic brain injuries that, you know, may take a long time to heal or may not heal as well. That's correct. So part of the structures of the brain can be damaged and then you'll never be able to make those neural connections again. And so I teach guys, don't think about the things that you can't do, but think about the things that you can do, Mm. right? And I try and compare a mental injury, which is post-traumatic stress or anxiety or TBI, traumatic brain injury. I compare that mental injury to a physical one because it's really Mm. hard for people to understand, like, what is a mental injury? What does that look like? It's hard for people who haven't experienced it yet to understand that concept. So I share with them what I call the broken leg theory. So if I had a broken leg or let's say I had an amputated leg and, you know, we were hanging out, you wouldn't be like, Hey, Aaron, go run upstairs and, you know, grab me that book off the shelf. You wouldn't expect me to run anywhere. I've got a leg, I've got a broken leg, but But these are like injuries you can't see, which is, you know, the, the more difficult part to it, you know? Right. So if I had that broken leg or missing limb, I could figure out a way to do it, right? Like I could figure out a way I could create a workaround. I maybe might not be able to do the exact same things that somebody else does, but I can figure out a way to do it in a different way. And so I tell people the same thing with a mental injury. I used to love going to concerts and I used to take my kids all the time. We'd go to local shows and it was great. We loved it. But after I came back from Iraq, I really couldn't do that anymore. The crowds were too much. The noise was too much. Feeling the reverberation was too much. And so it really limited me. And I didn't go to concerts for a very long time until I started understanding how the brain operated. 
and realizing I needed to make some positive neural connections around music that could help me overcome this. So that way I could still enjoy things like this with my family. Mm. And eventually I got to the point where I could go to concerts, but not in the same way that I used to. Now I go to concerts out at this amphitheater that they have this place called the grass. And so it's this big hill kind of that overlooks the amphitheater. And I can stand up there on the grass area. The tickets are really cheap. You can mill around. There's families. It's not that crowded packed area. I can still enjoy the concert, enjoy my friends and family, but um, I do it on my own terms. And mm. so that's what I try and teach guys is you don't have to isolate and limit yourself. That's what's going to cause your symptoms to be worse and eventually can lead to suicide. Mm. So what you've got to do is figure out a way that you can address these issues and still find success in life, just doing things differently than maybe you did before. Well, looking at it, Sergeant Q, one of the big things you're a proponent of, it's actually the name of your book, which is Healing Through Service. I guess when we're helping others or serving others, how does that help us to improve or how does that help us to get better? Because I think when we look at a lot of people, like even if you're wanting to learn something, right, you learn more by teaching others because you're figuring out it together. How does that aspect of service apply to, you know, your own recovery? You know, that's another really great question. So it's a really complex answer, but really it boils down to one thing that they've done several studies about this. One of them that kind of kicked it off is called the Mother Teresa effect, where they had these college kids, they took saliva swabs. They saw what chemicals were operating in their brain. And then they put them in front of a movie and they watched Mother Teresa go out and do good works out in the community in Calcutta for 90 minutes. And then they took another sample of their saliva. And then for 90 minutes after that, they took another sample. And what they saw was that their body during the process of watching Mother Teresa and for the 90 minutes after, they had an uptick in hormones that boosted their immune system. So mm -hmm. they got an immune system boost just by watching Mother Teresa go and do these things. Wow. And so that opened a door for a lot of other scientists to start looking at this. What are the positive physical and mental effects that good deeds have? And there was a study out of the UK that showed that the altruism is, is not just good for your physical health, but it's good for your mental health too. And so they were able to, in their study, they were able to quantify that the two people, right? One person's giving help, one person's receiving help. Mm -hmm. Now they both receive benefit, but the person receiving help, they just receive the benefit of the help and they get a little bit boost in their endorphins, just a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. But when the person who is actually giving the help, who's helping the other person, it's off the charts, the amount of mental health benefits that they get just by helping somebody else. And so I found this out just in my own life before I ever read these studies, I started going to Mexico and building homes for homeless families. And the first time I did that, I felt something inside of me. I was like, wow, I haven't felt this in, in a long time. I don't know what this is. It was this joyful feeling. And I just didn't really know what to make of that. I didn't really understand it, but I knew I needed more. So I started going all over the world. I'd go to Haiti and Honduras. I would go to Mexico Cambodia, and I would just build churches, schools, orphanages, because it was helping me. And it I sounds like it was also why. feeding that spirit of adventure a little bit as well, because those are some pretty unique locations, man. <laughs> Absolutely, it was. It, it, <laughs> you know, it was something that I had in my heart for a long time, and I'd really kind of forgotten about it. But it was helping me in, increase my mental wellness. And so I started researching this, like, why is this happening? What's going on? And so I started reading all these medical journals and trying to figure out how does the brain work? What happens 
you know, when somebody's going through a mental health crisis, like what are all these things that are going on? And it took me a while to figure it out, but I started coming across these studies. I started figuring out all these different things that make the brain function and how Mm -hmm. this complex neural network made memories and how memories were attached to trauma. And so I started learning all these things. At the same time, I was reading scripture and I saw this huge overlap of scripture and what science was telling us. And so Mm. it's crazy because I could read scripture and then I would see these these medical studies that were backing up exactly what the Bible told us. You know, that's that's interesting too, because I feel like that's increased the difficulty in mental health struggles for people as we become increasingly less spiritual, increasingly less religious, you know what I mean? Because it is an idea of service, but at the same time, it's an idea of a higher being as well. Like, I feel like that's really disappeared in a lot of places, man. Yeah, I agree with you. There's, I like to tell people, because I teach from a biblical perspective and I tell people like, I'm not putting this religion on you. I'm just telling you, this is a valuable component to Mm -hmm. success, whatever that looks like for you. It could be, you know, religion or spirituality. For me, I found my way through Jesus Christ. And I believe that's the only true way, but other people, they don't have to believe that to get benefit from sure. this book and this teaching because these are universal truths. They've been proven. And the Bible just records 2000 years ago. This is what they were telling us, but we just weren't paying attention. And now we have science that's proving the validity of what scripture has been telling us. One of the prime examples is in James chapter one, verse two and three, it says, count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials, because the, the uh, persistence of your faith produces perfection. Mm. And so what does that mean? Well, count it all joy. What is, when I first read that, I was like, what are you talking about? Like I'm having nightmares and I can't sleep and I'm having anxiety. How do I count that all joy? But I found that I have to focus on the positive, that your brain will show you what you're looking for, what you mm-hmm. focus on, you will find more of. And so the more I dwell on those negative things, the more my brain is like, okay, let's grab some more. And let me show you some more negative stuff that's happening. And you have to condition your mind not to do that. So Dr. Greg Jantz, I talk about him in my book, he runs what's called the center of hope. And he talks about positive self-talk and how it boosts your mental resiliency. And so I put some stuff like that in my book just to show people that I'm not the only guy who's figured this out. There's hundreds of people who figured this out and are using it successfully. I just package it in a neat little thing that's specifically related to trauma. And so going back to the healing portion I tell people that healing from trauma is like a table and it's got four legs. Most people only address the the physical side, the mental side, and the emotional side of healing. Mm -hmm. And that's like a table with three legs. It'll stand up just fine. But the minute you put pressure or weight on that, it's going to collapse. And that's (laughs) the same thing. Or or my two-year-old tries to eat at it. It's going over, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The minute you put weight or pressure that missing leg is going to cause it to to collapse. And so you've got to, um, that's where spirituality comes in. It's that Mm -hmm. fourth leg. And if you don't Mm -hmm. address it, you're going to have limited uh, results in your recovery. And so that spirituality could be anything, but you have to have that mindfulness. You have to address the spiritual side of healing. Otherwise you're not going to be successful. I've never met one person who's been successful in their healing process that haven't made spirituality or religion or God a part of that healing process. I just haven't found that person. Well, I guess looking at as somebody on the outside looking in here, just from from my perspective, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you're talking about the idea of, you know, looking at things with more gratitude, trying to find the the, the light in things at the same time. But 
because you had your personal experiences, you're now able to help each other or help other people. So I guess in some ways, those things were horrible. They weren't great, but they were a gift for the other people that you can now give, which I think that is a really cool perspective to have. Yeah, it absolutely is. And so people who go through healing and then they just kind of go on with their daily life, they're really robbing everybody else of their experience. Yes. And so I call it the slingshot mentality. So a lot of times people feel like they've been held back in life and they live in this victim mentality. And I talk about these three different mentalities, the victim mentality, denier camp, and then the silent majority, these three mental health camps that we live in. So a lot of times people are stuck in this victim mentality where they feel like uh, all these bad things always happen to them and they can never get a break. You know, they get fired from their job because they know more than their boss. Like there's, it's always somebody else's fault. There's no personal accountability. And I lived in that camp for a very long time of feeling like the world owed me something because, mm. you know, I grew up really, really poor. I had a, an abusive drug addicted dad. We were homeless as kids. You know, my time in the military caused PTSD. I ended up homeless again. I've, you know, so there's all these things that I thought were holding me back. And, and they really were, honestly, they were holding me back. But I give it the, what I call the slingshot analogy. And so if we take a stone and, and we can throw a stone, it, it'll go a certain distance. But if we put that in a slingshot and the farther we pull that slingshot back, when we let go, that rock is going to sell farther and faster than we ever thought possible. Mm-hmm. And that's us with the trauma we've experienced and with, um, you know, our life story, all these things that are holding us back, abuse, addiction, regret, war, uh, all these things, poverty, they're all holding us back. It's true. All of that stuff holds us back, but it only holds us back because we refuse to let go of it. We mm. refuse to shed off that victim mentality because for some reason we think that that's who we are. And so we glorify that victim mentality instead of just letting go of it. And when I let go of that victim mentality, it launched me farther into my future than I ever thought possible. What was that thing that helped you to do it? Because, you know, you've talked about, you know, spirituality, you've talked about accountability, but like, what was your slingshot? What was the thing for you? For me, it was realizing that despite my disabilities, I could still make a difference in the world. Mm. And who better to lead people out of the darkness than somebody who's walked in it themselves? I love that because when you really look at it, right, as human beings, like we see our value in society by how we can contribute to it. And when someone doesn't feel like they can contribute, they feel like they don't have value. That's huge, man. Like that really is. That's right. It does. You don't have to do something grand, these small acts of kindness, just something, these small little things in people's lives, you know, volunteering, volunteerism is gives you huge mental health benefits. Plus it helps you connect with other people. We are very social creatures. You know, humans are very social. We're designed to be in community with one another. And so the more you put into that community, the more you get out. And so I joined the John Maxwell team three or four years ago, and they're all about, I joined them because they're all about giving back and giving more to a relationship than you're getting. And I thought, wow, that really, there's other people out here who are doing this. And so I joined with them and it's fantastic to see this whole new generation of young leaders going out and teaching people that there's value in helping others be successful. That if mm-hmm. you want to be successful, going out and trying to gain success and grab success and fight and claw to the top, you're going to wear yourself out and you're not going to go anywhere. But if you can become a platform where you help other people be successful, you in turn will, will share that success. And so that's what I've done. The, the book and the journal 
and the video series, they're all designed to help other people be successful and overcome the traumas that they've experienced in their life. And I've got a great example of that. Pat mm -hmm. Wright, he's the founder of Operation Rebuild Hope in Oregon. And so he went through my program in its early stages when I, because I take a group of guys down to Mexico and in two days we build a home for a homeless family and I teach these courses. And then I realized that I can only touch so many people. That's why the book, journal, and video series came out. But he went through this program and he was on suicide watch when he came through the program and he was about to become homeless. And that was five years ago. And now he runs one of the largest veteran nonprofits on the Oregon coast. He wow. just got a $3 million contract to provide housing to homeless veterans because he was doing it better than anybody else in the community. And so he started that after he came through our program, he started just helping other veterans in the community do repairs on their houses that they physically couldn't do. And so we taught him how to raise money and get volunteers and we helped him stand up his organization. And here we are five years later, this guy has built two homeless shelters and he just bought a hotel to create uh, emergency housing for veterans on the Oregon coast. And part of what he had to do was, was provide mental health training. So he called me and I just spent three days down there with 15 of his VSOs and social workers and peer support, teaching them this very program. So mm -hmm. they can, I did a train the trainer for them. So I certified them, trained them how to do it. So now they're going out and teaching this to veterans coming in off the street because it was so impactful on Pat. And, and you can see that for what he's done in the community. And so that's what I try and share with people is that if, if you can help others and help them be successful, that's your success as, as well. Well, Sergeant Q, I've really enjoyed this conversation today. And, and I do appreciate the help that you're being to veterans because, you know, veterans really give up a portion of their lives and for some, a portion of their soul and even their lives to, for the rest of us to be able to be free and do the things that we do. And they need help, man. So I appreciate what you're doing. So for people listening, if they want to find out more about you, if they want to check out the book, you know, where's the best place to go? You know, there's a lot of different information out there. You can Google me. It's really easy, but the best place to go to find everything you need would be sergeantq.net. So sgtq.net. That'll give you a link to our YouTube page and uh, the resources for the book. And there's also some technology that I developed to help create mental resiliency and prevent suicide. So everything, you can find it right there. And if you do check out our YouTube page, every Monday, we do a mental health Monday where my wife and I will talk about a different mental health subject, or we'll, sometimes we have other veterans, you know, come on board and we just have a little 15 minute chit chat about different mental health issues that they're having or techniques that they use. Uh, different things like that. Very cool. Well, Sergeant Q, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Yeah. Awesome. I look forward to seeing you again.